It's so good to look out and see all of you here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming to our second preview service. Maybe you were a little skeptical. What is a preview service? Well, it's a glimpse of what we're going to be doing here every single week. Uh, Starting the first weekend in October, we're going to be singing together worshiping God, and uh, I've just felt like the worship team did a really wonderful job this morning. I know you've only done it twice, but uh, you did a great job. Uh, We're going to have faith stories, uh, testimonies, and hopefully we'll pray for the kids and dismiss them, and they'll have their own time, and then we'll have a message here. So please come back in October. Uh, We want you to be here. Uh, For some reason, we decided to ask God for 144 people on our very first week here in October, and we only have like 96 chairs. Uh, So, and then a few extra orange chairs. So thank you if you sat on those chairs. So please come back. Let me pray for us, and then we'll hear from God. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to worship you uh, through the preaching of your word, through the Bible. Would uh, today's message impact people in the way that you want to speak to them? We pray this all to the glory of Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever wondered if God is still working today? Have you ever wondered if he's still kind of telling stories, if he's still moving in people's lives? Maybe some of you have heard uh, or watched some of the television programs and you read about all the different Bible stories. Maybe you watched uh, the Bible miniseries and seen some of the Old Testament stories. Maybe you've watched uh, The Prince of Egypt or The Ten Commandments with Charleston Heston. Well, it's okay to wonder if God is still moving I mean, why doesn't he still send plagues of locusts and turn rivers into blood? Praise God that he doesn't do that. Or maybe you know the stories really well, and you know, especially uh, the Prince of Egypt and the Ten Commandments, that it's about the story of God delivering a people from bondage, from slavery. And you wonder, well, does God still care about me? Does God care about people today? Israel would have wondered if God cared about them as well. As they left Egypt, as they left slavery, they left bondage, and they went and wandered around in the wilderness. They had a leader, his name was Moses, and he led them to Mount Sinai to meet with God. It's pretty convenient to be able to ask God face to face, do you care about me? But when they did meet God at the mountain, they were terrified because there was lightning and fire and a cloud of smoke. And like any good democracy, they told their leader to go die. They sent him up on the mountain. And so they sent Moses to go and receive the Ten Commandments, to go and talk to God. Now, at our first service, we learned that uh, a word for God, we, we, we went through Ezekiel 37, which was a vision of dry bones. We learned that a word for God is spirit or wind. Ruach is in the, in the original language. It's in Hebrew. And it means wind or spirit or breath. 
And one of the ways that we see God's Holy Spirit, so God is a triune God, a a trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One of the ways God manifests himself, especially the Spirit, is through a cloud. And so when Moses comes uh, face to face with that cloud, he's coming into the presence of God. And God is, in one sense, hiding himself so that the power and the glory of God doesn't kill the entire Israelite nation. And what does God's Spirit do? It, once they, they meet and they have that meeting on the mountain, Moses goes back down the mountain and they build a tabernacle. They build a kind of a movable temple. So a tabernacle just means tent. And then that glory cloud comes and rests on the tabernacle. The, the cloud comes and rests on the tabernacle as a pillar of fire at night and as a cloud of smoke during the day, and that cloud would lead the people uh, to the promised land. God was taking them to a land. Does God's presence still lead people today? Does God do crazy things like that still? Well, I want to tell you that God does do, God, God does still uh, unpack stories, He still leads people. He leads churches, and he does it in amazing ways, but they're different ways. So God still writes amazing stories, maybe not like in the Bible, but in our lives, he still does that. In the 1960s, I'm going to tell you a little bit of history. In the 1960s, a man named Pastor Johnson felt called by God to plant a church in New England, Now, this is a good reason why uh, you should not just refer to your pastor as pastor and his last name, because I don't know his first name, Pastor Johnson. So he graduated seminary in Oklahoma, and then him and several other men felt called to start a new church in New England, new churches. And so they left Oklahoma, they drove up here, and as Pastor Johnson was driving up 495, his car broke down, and, and, you, and where it broke down is in the exit right outside of Westford. Broke down right on 495, and a police officer came and spoke to him and, and saw if, you know, you're doing okay. And like any good church planter, they struck up a conversation about spiritual things, And Pastor Johnson soon discovered that there was a family in Westford that was praying. They were known just as a praying family, and they would meet in a home. And so uh, the police officer and Pastor Johnson took his car. They limped it over to their house, because why not? Just show up. And pretty soon, that family and that pastor began to meet more regularly. They were meeting for prayer, and there was some other families that came and met and that is how Westford Bible Church began to form, began to form. They, they started meeting at the Rodenbush Community Center as a service, and then that family donated this property right here. And this is where the church was built. And that's how Westford Baptist Church Temple actually got started. They changed the, the name later to Westford Bible Church. See, God still writes amazing stories today. He still leads his people. He just does it in a little different way. Now, it took Westford 
Bible Church. I've got to make sure I say the names right. It, it was the other one, but we'll refer to them as Westford Bible Church. It took them about 10 years to get out of meeting in homes and the Rodenbush and actually build this building. So they built it about 1972. Israel took a little bit longer, 400 years. For 400 years, roughly, they, they went around in the, in the west, well, they were in the desert, the, the wilderness, for 40 years, and they went to the promised land, but then they worshiped God out of that tabernacle for a long, long time. And then finally, there was a king called King David, the greatest king of Israel, who had it in his heart to build a temple, so a more permanent structure for the people of Israel to worship God in. But God said, no, I don't want you to do it. You've, had, you've done too much war. Your hands are bloody. I want your son to do it. And so King Solomon, son of David, he came and he built the temple. And it was a magnificent temple. And you know what? When they finished that temple, when they dedicated it, that same glory cloud, that same cloud, the Holy Spirit, came and filled the most holy of holy places in the temple so that the priests could actually not worship in the building because God's presence had filled their place of worship. See, anytime God's people gather together to worship him, he is there. And there are these special moments in the Old Testament when God marks to the whole nation that I am with you. Now, I wasn't here when Westford Bible Church had their first service in a building that was in the same location, but I doubt a cloud actually came and filled the building. That would have been really sweet, but it didn't. But like I said, I know that when God's people gather together to worship him through the Bible, through talking about his word, through singing music, we know that his people are there. And I know God's spirit was there with Westford Bible Church when they started. And so they continued to worship God, to love God through the 70s, through the 80s, and through the 90s. And I don't believe that God's Spirit ever left Westford Bible Church, but their membership did start to decline, and they became a much smaller congregation. Israel also went through what you could call the dark years, but theirs wasn't a membership problem, theirs was a sin problem. See, they sinned once, once, once King David and King Solomon left. The, the nation went through a time of kind of civil war and, and, and they split. And then they began to trust in other nations. Our kings aren't trustworthy, so we're going to trust in Egypt. We're going to trust in Babylon and Assyria and the, the surrounding nations. We're going to trust in them instead of God. And not only did they trust in other nations, they, they mistreated the poor. They mistreated orphans and widows, the marginalized of the society. They began to ignore and mistreat. They sinned so much that God sent a prophet. He sent lots of prophets to warn them. But a prophet one day named Ezekiel, and so hopefully you've heard that name a couple times this morning. God sent a prophet named Ezekiel, and Ezekiel had visions of what God was doing, the, kind of the, the real reality that was taking place behind the scenes. And Ezekiel saw a vision, kind of a dream of God's Holy Spirit, that same cloud at Sinai and the tabernacle and the temple, that same cloud, he saw a vision of that cloud lifting off the temple and going out of the city 
and leaving Israel because they had abandoned God. They had turned to false gods. God said, all right, my presence is gone. And then a foreign nation named Babylon came and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. And sometimes we don't understand God's story right away. I'm sure the nation of Israel didn't understand right away. It took them a while to repent and turn to God. And Westford Bible Church, I'm not saying that you know, their sin caused bad things to happen, but something similar actually did happen to Westford Bible Church in 2001. In 2001, there was a different building here. And there was uh, some extra snowfall, and the entire building collapsed. So if you go on the website, go to articles, you go to history, you can see pictures. There's about 30 or 40 pictures of just the whole building just caving in on itself. Apparently people from the south came and built the building, and they didn't know about New England winters. But even in the midst of trial, God was present. God was faithful to Westford Bible Church. An insurance company came and rebuilt this beautiful building that we get to worship in this morning, that we get to be here enjoying. The insurance company did that. But unfortunately, their membership did not recover. And in 2013, Westford Bible Church, the leadership approached Emmanuel Church. So Emmanuel Church is the mother church. It's the planting church that we're coming from. They approached them and said, would you take our building and would you restart a new church? And in December 2014, so last December, they closed. Westford Bible Church closed up shop. We have a few people here this morning from that group, and I'm grateful that they're here. But for the last nine months, there has been no weekly service in this building. There has been no consistent worshiping of God in this place, of singing his praises. Now, our team, our church plant team, has, has had some worship services here, but it hasn't been the same because this hasn't really been a consistent house of worship. In some ways, God's Spirit has kind of left the building. But now, we're asking God's Spirit to return. We're asking Him to fill this place afresh with a special presence, with a, a new power. We're asking God to come and be in this place. You heard it here this morning when Andy prayed a prayer of invocation, asking God's Holy Spirit to be here. We're asking God to start a bold new story in Westford. You know what? I have good news. The Bible actually has incredible good news. Because where we're reading today, there, Ezekiel has another vision. So at the beginning of the book of Ezekiel, there's a vision of the Holy Spirit kind of leaving the temple and going away. And now in Ezekiel chapter 43 we get a vision of God's glory cloud of his Holy Spirit, of his presence coming back. Coming back to the temple. Coming back to the, the place of worship. And so that brings us to our text today that tells us how God is coming back. Because we as a church need to care about how God comes. We see that God is coming in glory. 
We sang all about God coming in glory this morning, and I'm going to read the first five verses again of Ezekiel 43 that tell us God is coming in glory. Then the man brought me to the gate facing east. Remember, that's the same east gate that God exited. And I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. The vision I saw was like the vision I had seen when he came to destroy the city and like the visions I had seen by the Kabar River. And I fell face down. The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. God's people are experiencing healing and they experience it as God's glory comes. God returns to a new temple in glory. So this is a vision of a a brand new temple. In the last couple chapters, Ezekiel has received uh, received a vision, like a kind of a blueprint of a new temple. And this new temple is far greater than any sort of earthly temple. It's said in kind of humanly uh, terms that you and I can understand. But really, Ezekiel has received a vision of a heavenly temple of an eternal temple, of a place that can never be destroyed. And this new temple is a reminder that one day God is going to come and dwell with his people forever, unhindered by sin. So this is really a vision of kind of the end of time, the, the, the second return of Jesus, the, the, the end of everything, the beginning of eternity. Now, notice what happens when God shows up. It says that the, 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 the air is filled with rushing waters. Ezekiel describes two senses. He describes what he hears in his ears and what he sees with his eyes. And he kind of describes the very glory of God in very human terms. Uh, the whole uh, kind of uh, air sound shakes and vibrates, rushing waters, and the earth radiates. So maybe you've seen a like a really bright light or a lighthouse that's just kind of a light shining in the darkness. Well, imagine the whole world shining forth, glowing with something special as it's reflecting God's glory. It's finally how it's meant to be. In fact, uh, there are some instances in the Old Testament where people come in contact with God's glory. And one of the first of them is Moses. So we talked about Moses when he went up on Mount Sinai and talked to God. Well, the Bible tells us that when he came back, his face was radiating. It was shining. He had kind of soaked in the presence of God. And the people were so terrified of him, he had to put a veil over his face, almost like a wedding veil. He had to cover his face. And not only did this make him look good, he uh, was strong and young, and he, God had to kill him when he was 120 years old because he wouldn't have died because he had known God's presence. See, God's glory, it fills us, it amazes us, and it changes us. We can experience God's glory through worship, through prayer, through Bible, through community. A lot of our core values at this church are just ways to experience God's glory. And we can also experience God's glory through just seeing him move, through experiencing a new story. Uh, And so I want to tell you the story of how Monica and I got a part of this church plant, how how God was faithful to us, and we saw God move. So Monica's my wife. Uh, She's downstairs with the kids. They're in good hands. 
And uh, we experienced kind of a taste of God's glory by joining this plant. So in 2012, uh, we took a church planting class at Gordon-Conwell. So it's kind of like a, a class, an introductory course to starting a church from scratch. How would you go about doing that? And so we went and we, went and we took this class. And one of the things we learned is that we had to do a bunch of demographics research, a lot of like statistical analysis. We had to drive around a real community and do interviews with community leaders and really get to know a community. And from that, kind of prepare a plan. How would you go about starting a new church? So this was in 2012. Uh, And we were like, well, we're going to do all this research. We have to do it on a real community. We want to make a difference for God's kingdom. So we want this work to really benefit a church in some ways. And Monica had uh, interned with uh, Pastor Dana Smith, uh, who's actually here tonight. Uh, She had interned with him for several years growing up, and he had just become a pastor at Emmanuel Church in Chelmsford. And so we were like, well, Dana, do you have any recommendations? You're close by. Uh, This could be convenient. And he's like, well, yes, there's not many churches in Westford. And so we're like, okay, that sounds good to us. And so in the summer of 2012, uh, he drove us around Westford, and we drove up and down these streets, and we ate lunch here, and we got to know the town of Westford, and then we did all the kind of statistical research on Westford. We learned that there is a lot of education in Westford. Very proud of our Westford Academy. We learned that there is um, a lot of wealth, kind of a suburban, well-off neighborhood, and that's okay. We learned that there are a lot of families, that there's a deep love for families in this community. We learned that there is an interest in spiritual things, and most of all, we learned that this community, Westford, needs God. We learned a lot of things. And we took all of our research and we presented it to the Emmanuel Church leadership, to the elders. And uh, it was a good discussion, uh, a good presentation. It seemed to go well. And then we wrapped that up and nothing came of it. And then my final year at seminary, I began to look for a job. Uh, So that was 2012 to 2013. And I actually remember that I went to a church planters conference outside of Boston, and there I met the president of our denomination, the Four C's, uh, and he said, well, we've actually been praying for a small church in Westford called Westford Bible Church, that someone would come in and restart that, that church. And, and I had heard about Westford Bible Church through kind of the study, kind of learning that it was a small church. I said, oh, well, that's cool. That's, that's interesting. You know, I need a job. And later that spring, at some point, my wife and I actually drove down this street and looked at the church, and we came up to the windows and looked in. And I was like, okay, this seems like a good opportunity. I mean, it's a nice building, Lord. Uh, maybe you'll send me there. And so I went home, and I emailed the president saying, hey, would you get in contact with Westford Bible Church so that, uh, you know, they can kind of give me a job so I can come and help them restart? <laughs> And he is usually very good about getting back to me with emails. Uh, It's a small denomination. Uh, And he never replied. Just never replied. Uh, And so I just trusted in the Lord. And a couple months later, Emmanuel Church called me as their pastor. And then six months later, Westford Bible Church came knocking at the door at Emmanuel. And suddenly, we had a much bigger team of people 
We had the backing of a mother church, and it just seemed like this was God's story. This is where God is leading. God, I am glimpsing your glory. And it's amazing how personal it is and how you're showing me what you want me to do. This was our taste of God's glory. But God also comes in other ways. He comes in authority, and he comes in love. See, God is coming in authority. We're going to look at verses 6 through 9. While the man was standing beside me, I heard someone speaking to me from inside the temple. He said, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place for the soles of my feet. This is where I will live among the Israelites forever. The people of Israel will never again defile my holy name. Neither they nor their kings by their prostitution and the funeral offerings for their kings at their death. When they place the threshold next to my threshold and their doorpost beside my doorpost with only a wall between me and them, they defiled my holy name by their detestable practices. So I destroyed them in my anger. Now let them be put away from me by their prostitution. Put their prostitution away and their funeral offerings for their kings and I will live among them forever. Not only does God come in glory, he comes with authority as the one who rules everything and everyone. Now, God tells Ezekiel that this new temple, this kind of everlasting temple, is the place of my throne. Now, if we had read earlier in Ezekiel, we would have seen that God is sitting on a lapis lazul throne. So I wasn't sure what that means, and that's a rock, and I had to look it up, and it's a blue rock. It's a beautiful rock. And it says that he is kind of sitting over the vault So really what scripture gives us is a picture of just looking up at a giant blue sky and seeing God sitting over that. That's how big God is. God is authoritative over everything. He rules over everything, over all of time, over all of space, over all of reality. And what does God do with that throne in Ezekiel 43, verse 7? He comes down. He says, I'm going to bring all of that down and I'm going to dwell among you because I care about you. This vision of God's throne coming down reminds us that God rules over everything, that God should be first in our lives. See, God's true authority challenges our misplaced trust. When you and I trust in the things of this world instead of God, God says, no, I'm the one on the throne. Now, notice that God accuses Israel's kings of building their threshold next to his. I I didn't even know what a threshold is, so I had to look that up. So when Solomon built his temple, go ahead and put that next slide up there. He actually built, so this is King Solomon, we're going back to him. Here's a picture. Solomon actually built a temple to worship God. That's the top one. And then he built a palace complex. On the, on the bottom side is the pillars, is the hall of pillars. So you can see this huge pillar complex. So this is the original temple. He built a hall of pillars where he would have judged people. There would have been an armory there. It it would have been really impressive. I kind of think of like Lord of the Rings uh, as they're running through the mines. I'm sorry if you're not a nerd. And then uh, in the middle of this picture, we see uh, Solomon's house. So this is Solomon's house. It's a big house. And then right back here is a special wing just for Pharaoh's daughter. So Solomon married Pharaoh's daughter. And that's where she would have had her wing. Pretty sweet to be Pharaoh's daughter. And at the top, we see God's temple. 
We see, we see an altar to God, and we see God's temple, and we see the most holy of holies right there. And I'm done with the pointer. What do you notice about the difference between God, uh, the temple complex uh, and the palace complex? The palace is much larger than God's temple. The king's palace is bigger than God's palace. And sure, God doesn't dwell in a palace made out of human hands. But when Solomon built his temple for himself, his palace for himself, he built it pretty large. And notice that he talks about building the threshold next to my threshold. Uh, See, there's stairways that goes into the temple courtyard. And that would have been an affront to God, that they would have immediate access to God. It's the priests that are supposed to be in that inner courtyard. So our question today, as we're starting a new church, we're starting a church many, many years later, is are we trying to build a bigger palace or are we trying to worship God in his temple? And maybe that hits home for you in your own life. Where's your focus? Are you trying to build a bigger life or are you trying to come before God and say, God, this life belongs to you. You're my king. You're the ruler. You're the authority. God is coming in glory, and he's coming in authority. But he's also coming in one other way. God is coming in love. God is coming in love. Now notice, there's something that maybe you missed in verse 7. Not only does he say, I am coming on a throne, he says, this will be the place for the soles of my feet. See, God is coming as a barefooted king. So, What do you notice? What do you feel? Pay attention to your feelings as I begin to take off my shoes. What's going through your head? Maybe you're thinking, Jonathan's pretty comfortable. Maybe you're thinking, wow, I don't want to be this intimate with Jonathan. Maybe you're thinking, wow, he sure thinks that he has a lot of job security. I'm a church planter. Of course I do. When you come into your home, you probably take off your shoes. You probably get comfortable. And it was no different in the ancient days. Uh, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Their shoes were off when they were in the upper room dining together. And the people would have taken off their shoes when they came home. And God is saying, one day, I'm going to come home. And I'm going to take off my shoes. And not only will this home be a place of my throne, it's all powerful, but it'll also be a place of the soles of my feet that'll be all loving. God is giving us the most intimate expression of his love right here in Ezekiel chapter 43. God is taking off his shoes for you. See, God demands our all. He says, I am the king because God gave his all already for us. God came as a man 2,000 years ago as the man Christ Jesus. And he literally walked in sandals through the ancient world, getting his feet dirty for us so that he could teach us the way to God, that he could teach us that there is only one way to God, and that is through trusting in Jesus Christ. But instead of worshiping at the feet of our king, at the soles of Jesus' feet, we crucified him. 
We nailed him to a tree. And you know what? Jesus had to die. Jesus had to die because God comes in one other way. God comes in glory. He comes in authority. He comes in love. But he also comes in holiness. God comes in holiness. And God tells Ezekiel to share the temple blueprint with Israel in this last section. Last couple of verses, we're going to read about God coming in holiness. Verses 10 through 12. Son of man, describe the temple to the people of Israel that they may be ashamed of their sins. Let them consider its perfection. And if they are ashamed of all they have done, make known to them the design of the temple, its arrangements, its exits, its entrances, its whole design, and all its regulations and laws. Write these down before them so that they may be faithful to its design and follow all its regulations. This is the law of the temple. All the surrounding area on top of the mountain will be most holy. Such is the law of the temple. See, God is coming in holiness. He comes in holiness to his people Israel. And he comes in holiness to us. And if we had read the chapters surrounding, we would have seen the blueprints of this heavenly temple. We would have read all about the different lengths and the measurements for the walls. But what you would have noticed is that God is being very careful. He's being very specific. And as we start this new church, this is a good reminder to us because God cares about how we worship him. God cares about the details And first and foremost, God wants us to worship him by worshiping Jesus. By not rejecting Jesus, by not crucifying him in our hearts, but by bowing before him as our Lord. Now, God's glory is revealed in the New Testament. So we have the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible. And God reveals his glory, that glory cloud, that Holy Spirit cloud, in the same way in the New Testament. In the Gospels, so the Gospels, uh, they, all, they have this story of Jesus, and it's called the Transfiguration, where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and they go up to a mountain. And, and suddenly, uh, Jesus lights up. He radiates. His clothes become uh, whiter than any bleach could ever make them. And there's a vision of, of, of the Old Testament prophets. And then a, a cloud comes down and envelops the people. And God is telling his disciples, Peter, James, and John, that Jesus is also God, that Jesus also dwells in that same glory cloud. His clothes became dazzling white because Jesus is a spotless sacrifice. See, God came in holiness, but he sent his son in holiness to become a sacrifice For us to become a holy offering. See, our sins condemn us before God. The ways that you and I disobey God and live our lives for ourselves as if we are God, that's disobedience. And we deserve eternal death. And the only thing, the only one that can heal us is Jesus. Because he died on the cross so that if you trust in him, all your sins will be wiped away and you also will be wrapped in that same white, dazzling cloth, that same uh, glory cloud. And if you put your faith in Jesus, you become holy. You get the holiness of Jesus on your record. God comes in glory. God comes in authority. God comes in love and God comes in holiness. So now there's just one more question. God is coming. Are you ready? 
God is coming to Cornerstone. Are you ready? God is coming to this church. God is filling it in a new and special way. Now, if we were to read later in the New Testament, after the transfiguration, after Jesus was crucified and he rose from the grave, we'd read the story of Acts chapter 2, which is kind of like the early church history. It's the, it's the history of church plants. And in Acts chapter 2, all the people are together in an upper room, kind of like this. And suddenly, that same ruach, that same Holy Spirit, that same wind fills the building. And then little flames of fire, just like at Sinai, just like that pillar of fire that led the people of Israel through the wilderness, little pillars of fire come and rest over each individual believer's head. And this doesn't happen today, but it's a reminder that God's Holy Spirit is now with his church. And you know what that means? God's Holy Spirit is with you. God's Holy Spirit is with you. God's Holy Spirit is here in this room. And he's helping us launch this church. It's already in the story. God is coming in glory, in authority, in love, and in holiness. God is coming for us, for Westford. God is coming. Are you ready? Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are coming. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is here among us in our midst, that if we trust in Jesus, he lives inside of us. We have this same Holy Spirit cloud ready to lead our lives, to lead this church. God, it is my desire that this church would follow you, that we would do your will here in Westford, that we would do your will as a new church, that this church would be all about your glory all about your authority, all about your love, and all about your holiness. God, one of the ways that we honor you is by giving our tithes and our offerings. This is a way that we worship you, Lord. And so would you be honored as we give our tithes and offerings at this time. In Jesus' name, amen.